640 Toronto presents Think Tank. The breaking stories you care about. Facts and opinions that get you through the day. Now, let's meet the guests. All right, let's do that. Uh, Two-time former mayoral candidate, Chloe Brown, is up early with with us this morning. It's great to have you on. Thanks. How are you? I'm really good. How are you? A little bit of moral purgatory these days, but uh, physically well. Oh, okay. Um, all right. We'll get to that. <laughs> that that wasn't on the topic list, but okay. Uh, Steve Pakin joins us now, author and broadcaster, and he joins us as well. How is Steve? Hi, Greg. Good to be with you again. Were you back to being a TV star last night and I didn't notice? Was that your first full-on new episode of The Agenda on TV Ontario? Uh, you're half right and half wrong. The half oh. wrong part is I'm not a TV star. Oh, the that half right okay. part is it was a, yes, it was our first first run episode of the year, and we're thrilled to be back on the air. All right. Well, it's not a show till Chloe Brown's in studio, so you get that booking done, and then we can we can. Hey, have fir- it's done. Oh. we've done it. We take one last week. It'll be on in the days ahead, as they say. Chloe, you're burying the lead story. I, 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 you probably signed a strict NDA not to talk about the topics involved, right? <laughs> Well, I didn't want to give it away to the world. <laughs> oh, we're glad we're uh, we're bringing people together because the world's falling apart at the seams. So at least we're bringing people together uh, to some extent on Think Tank. All right. Um, it's been a while since we've talked about it. And it's not like there haven't been any protests in the city of Toronto. But we talked to an emergency room doctor uh, who works at three different GTA hospitals last night. And he saw there was a disturbance at Mount Sinai. He got in the car and he made his way there. And again, we got very strict legislation laws. So uh, and, and as he said, he goes, I see all sides of this conflict, Chloe. I see tons of pain. I see a lot of dispute about proportionality from the Israeli government. But he said, we cannot, cannot have Dudes climbing scaffoldings and waving flags. We cannot have people going where sick kids and elderly people are. They've got to go somewhere else to protest. I saw some of the footage. I don't know how much you got, but any reaction to to either our previous guest comments or the idea of, of what happened last night at Mount Sinai? Yeah, it's heartbreaking. I used to work there as a security guard doing patient watch with mentally ill patients. So it's like that is very disruptive to them just having peace to process where they are. And on the other side of it, it's like we've been watching footage of Israel destroying healthcare systems. So people are really desperate at this point. And with the rules of law and order being suspended by what Israel is showing through its own TikToks and its own media channels, it's like people are responding just like them. So it's like at some point we have to rein in everyone's behavior if we don't want to see complete public collapse. Because people are just mimicking what they're seeing on social media without thinking about the consequences around them. And honestly, it just took me back to the pandemic where healthcare workers were fighting to do their jobs. And it's really disrespectful to them that people continue to disrespect their workplace. So, yeah, a lot of emotions. And that's the moral purgatory that I'm in today. I hear it loud and clear. Steve, how did you react uh, last night to what you saw and, and what you heard about? I think Chloe and I are on the same page on this one. Uh, On the one hand, uh, I think we're all mortified at what's happening in the Middle East right now. Um, It it is, well, you can tell I'm fighting to find the right words here. Uh, There are plenty of Israelis. There are plenty of Canadian Jews uh, who think that the disproportionate response by uh, the government of Israel uh, is something that is not supportable. On the other hand, you know, while we while we truly understand the, the complete frustration and anger of the Palestinian community here, 
it, it is possible to go too far. It is possible to do something in expressing your anger that will simply not make you win any friends and influence people. And I would think climbing scaffolding at hospitals and preventing people from going in to get treatment falls into that category. And Steve, there are so many people, um, and, and to add to, to what Chloe said, there's people that are protesting the right way, that are out there waving Palestinian flags. I heard on the news last night as I'm, I'm driving around getting home for supper, there's a protest at the Israeli consulate, Steve. And I'm like, that's where you protest. We've been telling you to go there. We've been telling you not to bang sticks on businesses and be involved in schools or hospitals. That's where you should be. And maybe a great proportion of those people were there. Um, but maybe, maybe, maybe they find, to Chloe's point, that's ineffective. I wouldn't be talking about it with you guys if they stayed at the consulate. We're talking yeah. about it because they went to Mount Sinai Hospital and scared people there yeah well, we're talking about it but i don't know that we're actually uh, in having this conversation i don't know that it's doing the palestinian side of the equation any good mm. i think you're talking about it in a critical way you're not talking about it in a supportive way uh in which case i'm with i i you know you have a constitutionally protected right to protest in this country but there are appropriate places to do it and there are inappropriate places to do it and if you're going to blame Israelis for bombing hospitals in the Middle East, then uh, what's, as Mitt Romney once said, what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. Sorry, Chloe, I didn't mean to cut you off there. If I did, go right ahead. Well, after the ICJ ruling, like the international courts have put forward a legal framework for de-escalating this, and it's like no one's listening. You're, as a young person, surrounded by other young people, the stage has been set for the suspension of law and order. And now people are really scrambling to figure out, like, what do we do? And this is where the, like, the adults in the room, the people in their 40s and 50s and 60s who have been through this with the Vietnam War, the war in Iraq, like, there needs to be leadership on the end of Western leaders. And we are sending like 30 million in arms exports to Israel. What examples are being set to actually rein in this carnage? And this is where, mm. yeah, I might not agree with what's the tactics that these young people are taking, but if we do not intervene, this is what's going to continue happening. If they're going okay. to continue escalating. I got I to gotta jump in on that, Greg, because I, I, this, um, Chloe, I don't think you're right about that. And I, th this notion of the Canadian government subsidizing Israeli arms and giving Israeli arms Selling arms to Israel is just not true. This country hasn't said arms to Israel in 30 years. And yet this, this notion of $30 million in arms sales keeps coming up over and over and over again. You know, the, uh, reporters in Ottawa have been scrumming cabinet ministers about this for quite some time, and it emerges every time the question is asked. This country does not sell or send arms to Israel for attacking uh, Israel's enemies. I mean, period, full stop. I will let the inquiry go forward. Uh, MP McPherson, Nancy McPherson, I believe, just got acceptance for this inquiry. So if I'm wrong, yeah. I'll eat my words, but I want to see the evidence. To a greater to a greater part of the conversation, Steve, um, I think I was looking for I'm still looking for leadership, whether it's Olivia Chow, Doug Ford, Justin Trudeau. I, I, I really I'm really finding it failing. I'm finding uh, we obviously have seen the liberal government make nobody happy. Bill Blair says one thing. Melanie Jolie says another. The one argument that I think Pierre Polyev's hit it right on with regard to criticizing the government here is 
he's got people now thinking they're sending some MPs out to defend Israel and some MPs out to criticize Israel. And that may not be fully accurate. That may not be the intent, but the end equation, right? The, when the meal comes out of the oven, Steve, that's what it looks like to a lot of Canadians. Well, uh, you know, what, what does one say other than, Greg, that's democracy. These are caucuses with a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds, mm-hmm. from a lot of different parts of the country. And we can't, on, a, on an issue that is as fraught as Middle East peace, we can't really expect, uh, you know, members of parliament from Quebec, members of parliament from Ontario, member of par- members of parliament from Alberta. We, uh, I don't think it's reasonable to expect them to sing all out of the same hymn book on, on something as fraught as this. Um, Chloe, I'll, I'll leave the mayor thing to you, given you've ran for that position. Steve and I haven't. What would you be saying and what would you be how would you be delegating um, thoughts and direction as a mayor right now? What would you do? And, and are you seeing anything lacking from Olivia Chow on this front, at least in terms of weighing in on these issues? Olivia comes from the federal world. So I really think that as an elder, of that particular policy world, she could be directing people Mm. to better resources. It's an active community advocacy that I imagine she doesn't have time for as she's trying to force a budget through. But yeah, um, she belongs to a different social circle that I would love to hear from. But, you know, there's a barrier between the generations. And actually, Steve's show really touched on that issue. I hope you guys get to see it. I hope so, too. Um, that's that's great um, advancement of that. Let me move to this news that we uh, learned this morning, Chloe, and I'll stay with you. Toronto's Uber drivers are going to global are going to join a global day of action tomorrow. We just got this breaking news an hour ago, saw the story from Reuters in the States and thought, does it just stay down there? And the concept is all gig drivers will not be picking up, dropping off, and that's for food orders as well. Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash are going to go on strike across the United States, and it looks like in some major Canadian cities for fair pay. Um, it'll change how the city runs tomorrow a lot, won't it? That's our starting point there. Yeah, and it's a good thing. Have you seen the pictures of all the bikes on the go? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be very interesting to really see just the scale of how many bike and drivers there are in the city because at any given time you're not really thinking how many of them are on the road but also good for them because it's like i heard they're making six dollars an hour which is below the minimum wage and they're eating a lot of these costs so it's time that reality hits the road with these courier services because it's not like we didn't have taxis before we really just need to fix this industry and the administration of this service because it's a livelihood and people deserve a fair wage. Steve, Uber is listed uh, this morning as being worth on uh, on market capitalization $142 billion. And Chloe's got that number right. $6.37 is what the average Toronto Uber driver makes after expenses. So they're not exactly meeting in the middle on this. Uh, no kidding. I, I think you found the second topic this morning that Chloe and I are going to agree on, and that is... <laughs> You know, I don't take Uber a lot, but I do every now and then. And the first question I always ask the person driving is, you know, is how are you doing? Is this a good way to make a living? Uh, how does Uber treat you? I really am curious about all of these things. And the one thing that I constantly hear back from them is, you know, we can work incredibly long hours driving 10, 12, 14 hours a day and still not come away with a heck of a lot of money uh, considering the effort that's put in. So you want to capture some public attention? 
this seems like the right way to do it. Chloe, there's there was a lot of talk about capping, uh, obviously, the, the number of licenses for rideshare. The city uh, was under legal threat, so they may not have gone about it the right way. But the concept is make these licenses valuable. And obviously, the less people you've got on these particular roads, the less the roads are clogged up. But maybe the more that these uh, that these drivers can make. Again, no one's forcing them to do it. But we could say that about slave labor also overseas. It just isn't right. And, and we have to have higher standards. Canada, we have to remind ourselves of that. And we need higher standards for what people make to do to, to make a living and do a job. Absolutely. And a great example of that is like the black cabs in the UK. They're a protected industry within the government. And honestly, I think it's really taken a beating by the Uber industry who's just offering cheap rides. But the truth is gas costs money. To keep their cars up to date costs money. And I think it's time for the consumer to actually see the sticker price of cheap goods. Because ultimately, like with delivery, we could be supporting local businesses by walking. <laughs> Nothing stopping us. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it, it leads us to, um, and, and we won't spend too long on it, but Steve, uh, the city is going to start charging for parking again on this coming stat holiday on family day. And that may be news to some listeners and viewers of your show that say, didn't they already? And there's kind of been a bit of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge that you can park there. There's going to be a sign, but we're not going to give you a ticket. And now the city sees cars. It's like almost they want to phase cars out, but they see it as a gigantic revenue source because there are moments where you just have to drive. And, and they know that and they know people will come into the city and use their parking. Well, let's not exaggerate this. This is not further evidence of the war on the car. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to go off the deep end on this thing, but uh, I, I, I guess I'm with you in as much as I, I, I didn't know we got a holiday from paying uh, parking when we went, uh, you know, when we used our cars on a stat holiday. I was assumed that you had to pay for it. But uh, I mean, here's the reality. If you're going to go downtown because you want to go for a bite to eat and you take a subway, you're paying for the subway. Um, yeah. So I presume if you're going to drive downtown, why should you get a holiday from paying for parking? I don't know. I don't get that. Yeah. Chloe, how do you, how do you view it? It's uh, the, there's it's obviously the city's looking for revenue generating tools. Parking certainly is that. So I think we can understand the need to charge people for parking 365 days a year. I wish someone would audit the rules because as I walk down Toronto streets, I've never seen so many confusing and contradicting signs for parking. <laughs> and this is why I particularly don't drive because it's like, if I forget like the smallest thing, my car could be impounded. I could be facing $500 in fees. And this is where the city really needs to just be transparent about what the outcome is. Because honestly, I didn't even know this was a rule. So yeah, it's, this is an opportunity for traffic to be like, hey, one sign, one answer. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Here, here. Yeah. Here, here. Chloe Brown, Steve Pakin joining us on Think Tank. we got a few minutes left. want to get to a couple more things. Steve, I'm going to come around to the uh, um, the issue of the ArriveCan app, a scathing Auditor General report. I mean, this is the kind of thing you'd say to some uh, some teenager that uh, that hasn't done their homework in six months. But this was the government, government officials they estimate $59.5 million was spent on this. This sounded like crazy stuff from both Jugmeet Singh and Pierre Polyev a year and a half ago when they made this accusation. 
I, I think this scandal lands a little bit more. I know we kind of glaze over on scandals. You and I could stop somebody on the street today and say, hey, tell me about Doug Ford and the green belt. And probably eight and a half out of 10 people won't know what we're talking about. But we all had to use the app to travel. And we all were kind of stuck in pandemic times thinking, how's our government using our tax dollars? They're telling us they're keeping us safe. And they just got blasted for no paperwork, no accountability, no validation of where all this money went. Well, that's the thing. It's often not five or ten billion dollar scandal that gets you in the end. It's the smaller things. Uh, remember the sixteen dollar glass of orange juice that got a cabinet minister fired back in the Stephen Harper years. It's the smaller things that the public has daily interactions with. Uh, <laughs> that those those chickens definitely come home to roost. And yes, we all had to when we traveled. We had to use this Arrive Can app, which was not the greatest thing to use. I, I, I'm going to say something here that you're probably not going to like, but I'm going to, I'm going to express the tiniest bit of sympathy to remember the times we were in where the government was shoving, shoveling money out the door as fast as it possibly could in order to take on COVID. And one of the things in its wisdom it felt we had to do was do this Arrive Can thing in order to make sure that people who were testing positive for COVID, you know, that everybody knew about it. And so I understand the instinct. I understand the impulse to get something done quickly and worry about paying the bill later. But it seems that even this one went way overboard. I mean, 60 million bucks for an app that should have cost a half million bucks feels a little crazy. Yeah, we all we all want our, uh, our, our, our governments to, to take care of, especially our money. Private businesses almost, Chloe, they can do what they want with their budgets. But this was a massive one. Again, when she's like, I have Karen Hogan, the Auditor General, is like, I haven't seen a worse paper trail. I haven't. There's no details of where the money went. That's really scathing. That's a great indictment right there. To be honest, this is what happens when we elect politicians with no technical background, because it's this is as an administrator. This is not surprising to me. Politicians love to say technology without specifying if they mean hardware or software. And at that point, you start to realize that, yes, they love to pontificate about innovation and all these really great jargon words, but they don't know what it means in application. And this is why these type of contracts flourish. And it's because no one works from IT. We have a lot of lawyers, a lot of businessmen. You don't have a lot of guys with those hard skills of like being a software engineer. So it's like, I'm not surprised this happened. And a lot of contractors take advantage of this lack of knowledge in political circles to push contracts like this. Steve, when we think about the departures from a cabinet of people like Jody Wilson-Raybould and, and Selena Cesar Chavan, um, that, that seems like ancient history. We have seen an awful lot of stuff, whether it's Paul Bernardo last summer or the, or the We Charity or this. I know Bill Morneau stepped down as finance minister, but a lot of people have documented that in the Harper government, in the Cretchen government, at least one head would roll for this. I don't think we have any anticipation that that's happening on this front. No, it doesn't look like that is going to happen on this front. But um, it, can you imagine the Trudeau government wanting a, a sort of less welcomed bit of news than this app uh, being rogue, having gone rogue. Uh, everybody knows what this app is. There are a lot of things that happen in government of people. I mean, you just referenced the green belt where some people may not exactly be sure of all the details there. Everybody knows about this Arrive Can app. It got a lot of attention. Anybody who trolled had the experience of using it. It was buggy. It didn't work, et cetera, et cetera. So for a government that's looking for, for any good news anywhere, this isn't going to help even if nobody loses their job over it.
Um, and this is almost to end, almost more an announcement than anything else, but I'm assuming all three of us are uh, in the same box here. We watched Super Bowl 58, and it's the most watched broadcast in history. We haven't seen Canadian numbers yet, but Chloe, 123.4 million viewers across all platforms watched it. 7% up on last year. Um, is this at all the Taylor Swift factor, or are we just getting more and more people watching the Super Bowl on a regular basis? We, it, we can't find anybody that didn't see it. So I just want to be clear. I support Taylor Swift no matter what, because I've seen what her fan base can do. Um, (laughs) I did not watch the Super Bowl because of that type of fanfare. And to be honest, I haven't watched it since the Patriots took on the Rams and my dad took $200 from me. Oh, my. That's a tough thing to get over. And that's 20 years ago. So think about inflation. I mean, think what you could get for $200 back in 2002. Great lesson on do not bet what you don't have. Oh, my heavens. Yeah. Well, again, you, you're you're dodging all the, uh, sp- the the plethora of sports gambling ads on a regular basis. Steve, there's something you tell you, you and I tell younger sports fans. Sit down, son. And let me tell you when the World Series was as big, if not a bigger event than the Super Bowl in the late 70s, early 80s. And they don't believe us. They don't believe oh. that anything was ever not as big as the NFL and the Super Bowl. Uh, you've got a confluence of so many wonderful things coming together here, a marquee matchup between two spectacular teams. Yes, the Taylor Swift business, Las Vegas as well. I mean, it was just big, big, big. I wonder, though, Greg, do you think people were able to cope with the fact that over a four-hour broadcast, Taylor Swift was on the air for about 56 seconds. Could they cope with it? Could they get over it? Uh, you know, everybody needs to take a bit of a chill pill on that, if you don't mind. I, I think you the, don't know the fans, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think the men complaining about it haven't spent 56 seconds of meaningful time with a woman in the last since the last Super Bowl. That's probably the over/under there, uh, one way or the right. other. We got to leave. We got to leave it there. Thank you so much both for the time. A wonderful conversation today. Appreciate it as always. Thanks, Thanks, Chloe. There's Chloe Brown, Steve Pakin joining us on Think Tank.